Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. It's so great to be with you on this Friday. We have made it through another week of American politics. I hope you're doing absolutely wonderful as we dive in to this. Donald Trump has weighed in on who he would like to be the next Speaker of the House in the wake of Kevin McCarthy being ousted. And as you might have been able to expect, it's the worst option, uh, Jim Jordan, of many bad options. Now, Trump is still playing coy, I guess the worst option is this, uh, he's playing coy with the idea of him being Speaker of the House. Why? <laughs> On an interim basis, as it's being phrased, but I guess in the long term, Jim Jordan is Trump's guy. As he wrote on True Social, Congressman Jim Jordan has been a star long before making his very successful journey to Washington, D.C., representing Ohio's 4th Congressional District. Respected by all, he is now chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. As president, I had the honor of presenting Jim with our country's highest civilian award, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So much is learned from sports, and Jim was a master. Now, watch everything he breaks down here and tell me how relevant it is to Speaker of the House. While attending Graham High School, he won state championships all four years, a rarity, and compiled an amazing 156-1 to record. At the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Jim became a two-time NCAA Division I wrestling champion. He won his 1985-1986 NCAA championship matches in his weight class. Jim has a master's degree. Here we go. Finally something sort of relevant. In education from Ohio State University and a law degree from Capital University. He is strong on crime borders, our military vets, and Second Amendment. Jim, his wife, Polly, and family are outstanding. He will be a great speaker of the House and has my complete and total endorsement. And of course, capitalizations in so many place, uh, places where they don't belong. Now, you might wonder, why didn't he point to the success of Jim Jordan's legislative career? He's been in Congress for some time now. What is there to point to on that front? And as one of our articles at lukebeasleyshow.com slash news points out, not much. Uh, Josiah wrote, Congress's least effective lawmaker is openly asking for the speakership and writes that uh, comprehensive studies from the universities of Virginia and Vanderbilt have determined that Jordan is perhaps the least the least legislatively effective lawmaker in Congress, despite the fact that he's been there for 16 years. In other words, he very rarely sponsors legislation, and when he does, it almost always fails. So he doesn't have a legislative record to speak of, which is pretty relevant when trying to be the leader of a legislative body in such an important role, such as Speaker of the House, deciding on and leading on legislative action. And uh, that is very much left out of the endorsement on the part of Donald Trump. But here was Jim Jordan's response to this true social post. I appreciate the president's endorsement. He's the leader of the party. He's gonna be our, our, our presidential nominee and I think he's gonna be our next president, so I appreciate that. Um, but we're focused also on, you know, the key thing is our, our colleagues. And I'm talking with, um, you know, we got from, from Freedom Caucus to people in the middle to, to committee chairs to Jeff Van Drew, who was Democrat four years ago. We got all kinds of, Cross the board support and we're just going to keep working i do think the fact that trump has endorsed him does increase the odds that jim jordan will become the speaker of the house unfortunately on trump being speaker of the house he did say to fox as media is pointing out here quote i would only do it for the party whatever that means you know trump always doing things for people other than himself 
uh, stressing that his focus is on his presidential campaign. Back in January, uh, the article points out, as the House considered who which, uh, who should become the speaker after Republicans took the majority of the chamber, Gates opted not to vote for McCarthy or Representative Byron Donalds, who was floated as an option, and instead for Trump. So this has been a conversation, unfortunately, for some time. I do want to play a clip here for you of Liz Cheney, making sure people don't forget, as Jim Jordan tries to promote himself as this candidate that could unite the party and maybe he's more reasonable so he could bring together the far right and the more moderate members let's not forget who jim jordan is jim jordan knew more about what donald trump had planned for january 6th than any other member of the house of representatives jim jordan was involved was part of the conspiracy in which Donald Trump was engaged as he attempted to overturn the election. Jim Jordan, if you think about the extent to which uh, people have now said, well, it was Speaker Pelosi's fault that Donald Trump's mob invaded the Capitol, that you know the security wasn't sufficient enough. The person who knew there were probably more than just Jim, but there was a handful of people of which he was the leader who knew what Donald Trump had planned. Now, somebody needs to ask Jim Jordan, why didn't you report to the Capitol Police what you knew Donald Trump had planned? You were in those meetings at the White House. And if the... Republicans decide that Jim Jordan should be the Speaker of the House. Um, there will, and I, by the way, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he'll lose. But if they were to decide that, there would no longer be any possible way to argue that a group of elected Republicans could be counted on to defend the Constitution. Yeah, she's exactly right on that. And it is wild to see. I think Jim Jordan, she doesn't believe he'll get selected. There's a good chance he won't. But I do see a path for him. And that is frightening because he is this huge Trump bootlicker. He was so involved in these critical moments around before, after January 6th with Trump and supporting that effort, telling the lies that people were using to justify that effort to this day being so dishonest about our elections and our constitutional process. And so it's not like Kevin McCarthy was super honest on that, but Jim Jordan takes it even to another level and would further cement this really radical part of the GOP in positions of power like we haven't seen yet. But regardless of how this plays out, we know MAGA is in control of the GOP to a disturbing extent. I want to take a look at another Liz Cheney moment we looked at in the last segment, her calling out Jim Jordan saying he would be a terrible speaker of the house. True. And then here she's calling attention to something that I've been trying to call attention to a lot on this show, which is not only did Trump say something so egregious, such as calling for the execution of his former top general, but number one, so many news outlets did not cover it either at all or nearly enough. And number two, the Republican Party, who proclaims to be so pro-military and pro uh, the troops, has been silent on this. And so we can't just let this fall into 
the dustbin of history. We have to call attention to this dangerous rhetoric and the dangerous silence on the part of Republicans. Here from True Social, we'll look at the message first, then look at Liz Cheney calling attention to it. Mark Milley, who led perhaps the most embarrassing moment in American history, Trump wrote, with his grossly incompetent implementation of the withdrawal from Afghanistan costing many lives, leaving behind hundreds of American citizens and handing over billions of dollars of the finest military equipment ever made, will be leaving the military next week. This will be a time for all citizens of the USA to celebrate. This guy turned out to be a woke train wreck who, if the fake news reporting is correct, was actually dealing with China to give them a heads up on the thinking of the President of the United States. This is an act so egregious that in times gone by, the punishment would have been death. Death. Someone who served their country loyally for 40 plus years in the military. And Trump is saying, essentially, he deserves death. A war between China and the United States could have been the result of this treasonous act to be continued. Now, as a reminder, this is Trump responding to reporting that top military leaders at the end of Trump's presidency, because of how erratically Trump was acting, some other leaders in other countries, such as China, were getting the impression there was some reporting indicating this, there was a question about it, that Trump might try to strike other countries to justify, based on a conflict now being present, him staying in the White House. Because he was doing all these other things, now we're seeing potentially against the law uh, to do the same. And so then, to help Trump and keep things stable, military leaders like Esper, like Milley, were reaching out to their counterparts in other countries, in this case, China, saying, all is well, things are going to be stable, Trump's not going to attack you, um, everything's okay, essentially which is good, as Josiah pointed out during one of, uh, one of our collaborations, that was actually helping Trump out in a major way. But he sees it as him being slighted in some fashion and says that's something that justifies the death of his former top general. Very vile and dangerous. And um, John Kelly, his former chief of staff, told CNN that he believes that was Trump calling his followers to do so, saying, this guy deserves an execution. He's not going to get it under our system um, of justice today, but he deserves it. Wink, wink. Very frightening. Here's Liz Cheney calling this out. The Republican Party today is in a vice grip, in a cult of personality. And I had certainly hoped that we would, you know, see a time uh, when the party had moved past this. I had hoped that we would find ourselves after the select committee hearings, um, certainly in a, in a rational world after the criminal indictments, you would see a Republican Party that had said, that is not who we are. We're going to reject that. But that isn't what's happening today. And I will give you one example if, if you know, people doubt whether or not um, that's an accurate description of the Republican Party. And it's an example from the last two weeks. In the last two weeks, Donald Trump said that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff should be executed for treason. And the response from Republicans, with one or two exceptions, I think Mike Pence condemned the remarks, maybe there were one or two others who did, but for the most part, the response has been silence. Now, if you want to have any sort of a measurement of how far the party has moved from the party of Ronald Reagan, 
That's it. And what I worry about is... And then I'll couple this, as we've been doing over and over again with the reporting from CNN, John Kelly, also general, uh, also served alongside Trump loyally, longest serving chief of staff under the Trump administration, said, quote, a person that thinks those who defend their country in uniform or are shot down or seriously wounded in combat or spend years being tortured as POWs are all suckers, quote, suckers, because there's nothing in it for them. A person does not want to be seen in the presence of military amputees because it doesn't look good for me. And we've read more of those quotes previously. That's what Trump had to say, according to people who worked right alongside him, who were present for these moments, who themselves serve their country, John Kelly, Mark Milley, and others. The pro-military party, the For the Troops party, which I never thought it was fair for them to try to exclusively <laughs> uh, take labels such as For the Troops, and often they voted against legislation that would indicate that, but that was their branding. Are willing to uh, that party is and those individuals are willing to be silent when it comes to this. Trump threatening a respected lifelong service member because not what you read in that true social post, but instead because Trump is upset that Mark Milley reportedly behind the scenes is terrified of the prospect of a second Trump term and is telling people about how terrible that would be for the country. That's why Trump said this, um, and also more confirmations that Trump has this to say about the troops, about people who lose their lives or are tortured in combat in private. Pro-military party stands behind that. By the way, Jake Tapper on CNN made a great point about this whole uh, saga. Again, shocked, not surprised me, is the lack of response from Republicans. I mean, I don't know if privately you're hearing from Republicans something, but publicly, certainly, if any other politician, Democrat or Republican, had said anything like this, um, you would think there would be outrage. When Barack Obama saluted a Marine as president while holding a cup of coffee in his hand, that was Fox News banner headlines for a week just because he held the coffee in his hand while he did a salute. So, correct, it's, it's outrageous. And one of the things that I think has escaped uh, the notice of a lot of people, but Olivier Knox in the Washington Post noticed today, is that what General Kelly picked up on that, the statement about the assassination or the execution rather. And then he makes the point that he was told by Kelly or CNN was in this reporting that Kelly sees this as a direct call to action to Trump supporters to go after Mark Milley, which that's pretty clear to me as well. Um, but the silence is deafening for sure. Last thing I'll add, just reminding all of you of this, despite the extraordinary nature of Trump's suggestion as Media Matters reported, from 8 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, September 22nd, when Trump posted on True Social, through 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern time on September 26th, ABC's Good Morning America, World News Tonight, and this week, CBS's Mornings, Evening News, and Face the Nation, and NBC's Today, Nightly News, and Meet the Press all failed to mention the post. Fox News obviously ignored it. CNN and MSNBC were the only two mainstream media television outlets in that time frame that mentioned the post. That's not acceptable. 
if they have time for all these stories that we see being covered, this has to be covered. And it has to be called out that not only is this vile for Trump to have said, Trump to have done in the case of some of these stories, it's so hypocritical and so dishonest and should enrage us all that this is the guy, Republicans, who made it a point to say they were for the military, the troops, veterans, and tried to exclusively take that label, those labels, are lining up behind that. Staying on the subject of Donald Trump, we have more reporting that is just ridiculous, bizarre, very irresponsible, outrageous, when it comes to Trump, what has been uncovered in the investigation into his handling of classified documents. Here from ABC News, Trump allegedly discussed U.S. nuclear subs with foreign national after leaving White House. Months after leaving the White House, former President Donald Trump allegedly discussed potentially sensitive information about U.S. nuclear submarines with a member of his Mar-a-Lago club, an Australian billionaire, who then allegedly shared the information. This is <laughs> crazy. Uh, with scores of others, including more than a dozen foreign officials, several of his own employees, and a handful of journalists, according to sources familiar with the matter. By the way, ABC News doing great reporting on uh, this investigation. We've gotten so many huge bombshells from them. Before reading further, just to remind you, Trump said when he was running for president, trying to attack Hillary Clinton on this, classified information, sensitive government secrets, so crucial that we keep those protect it administration i'm going to enforce all laws concerning laws the protection of classified information no one will be above the law one of the first things we must do is to enforce all classification rules and to enforce all laws relating to the handling of classified information we all and all these clips we've seen many times in the past. But I'd like to remind you, he's not someone who never exactly found it important to keep sensitive information secret. He said that was so important. But when he said no one was going to be above the law, he meant Hillary Clinton, guys, not him, you goobers. Um, here's a little bit more. The potential disclosure was reported to special counsel Jack Smith's team as they investigated Trump's alleged hoarding of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. The sources told ABC News the information could shed further light on Trump's handling of sensitive government secrets. Uh, prosecutors and FBI agents have at least twice this year interviewed the Mar-a-Lago member, Anthony Pratt, who runs U.S.-based Pratt Industries, one of the world's largest packaging companies. Uh, in those interviews, Pratt described how looking to make conversation with Trump during a meeting at Mar-a-Lago in April 2021, he brought up the American submarine fleet, which the two had discussed before, the sources said. Here's more of this being discussed on CNN. Have you learned from your reporting? We confirmed what ABC reported, Anderson, which is that Trump had this conversation with Mr. Pratt, who is a member of Mar-a-Lago, uh, not long after leaving office. This was a, a conversation which, in which Trump uh, supposedly revealed a couple of pieces of, of sensitive information. Now, you know, it, it's not clear exactly what Trump said. We know that, you know, according to ABC, it was specifics about uh, capabilities and about distance uh, that the submarines can go and how close they can get in certain cases. This is, 
not it, it doesn't appear he showed a document to this gentleman but i don't know for prosecutors that that matters because our understanding is he is among the trial witnesses who prosecutors have listed as possible people they will call and what they would likely use him for is to establish a pattern of trump being loose with sensitive information and the government's secrets so right so it's more about depicting not that this instance is some crime-defining moment, but instead to characterize the nature of Trump's approach to this information, because then that further uh, reveals, as he was holding on to this stuff, the willful retention of national defense information as he's being charged with, um, as he had the documents he wasn't supposed to have, as he was trying to hide them from federal authorities, moving them around, uh, getting his lawyers to lie on subpoenas, allegedly, to federal authorities and all these different steps. He also wasn't exactly keeping that information well protected, secure, um, as we've seen in the locations where the documents were and also discussions that he had. Here's more from this. Uh, Pratt told Trump he believed Australia should start buying its summaries from the United States, to which an excited Trump, leaning towards Pratt as if to be discreet, then told Pratt two pieces of information about US submarines the supposed exact number of nuclear warheads they routinely carry, and exactly how close they supposedly can get to a Russian submarine without being detected. So stories like this, not to mention the Iran document where Trump is waving around documents saying, oh, it's classified, I wasn't able to, or I'm not currently able to declassify it, I would have been as president, and I still have it, sensitive, it's secret. Lol, uh, all add to that depiction of a very irresponsible individual as he was also allegedly obstructing the investigator's ability to get these documents back, keeping them when he was supposed to have them, etc. So quite the story, adding on to a stack of stories we have in relation to Trump and his not so careful handling of classified sensitive material. George Santos, staying on the subject of Republicans and their legal troubles, um, George Santos, his former campaign treasurer, has pleaded guilty to charges in relation to the very same things being accused when it comes to George Santos, his alleged crimes. And so the fact that Nancy Marks, who is this GOP uh, operative and worked for Santos's campaign as the treasurer, the fact that she is overwhelmed by the evidence against her enough to uh, thinking it's advantageous for her to plead guilty reveals Santos is probably in a pretty bad place himself. Um, here's this from CNN. George Santos's former campaign treasurer pleads guilty to one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States. Um, and I, let me jump over to BBC a little bit more succinct here. A top campaign aide to embattle U.S. Congressman George Santos has pleaded guilty to conspiracy to defraud Nancy Marks, who appeared in court on Thursday, admitted she falsified some of the campaign's financial records. She reported a fake $500,000 loan that Mr. Santos claimed to have given the campaign, prosecutors say, is the latest trouble for the Republican lawmaker who has himself been indicted on several charges. So again, if she is admitting, yeah, we did this, and it specifies that she's saying it was all in coordination with George Santos himself. She wasn't out falsifying financial information independently from him. Shows us things aren't looking great for George Santos. Here's more from MSNBC on this story. 
11 past the hour, turning now to breaking news. We have just learned the former campaign treasurer for New York Congressman George Santos is set to plead guilty in federal court this afternoon in an ongoing federal criminal investigation. Joining us now is NBC's Tom Winter. Tom, good morning. What else do we know? Well, just a few things, Jose, because we're still waiting for the criminal information, as it's called, uh, to be filed and docketed on the court. But we know that Nancy Marks, who's been identified as the former treasurer of the George Santos, Congressman Santos's campaign, uh, is in fact scheduled to plead guilty at 3 p.m. in Islip this afternoon after a uh, criminal information and a notice was placed on the docket from federal prosecutors for the Eastern District of New York. They say in the docket, and there's a spot actually on there, if it says that this is related to any particular case, and it does say that it is related to the ongoing federal criminal investigation and indictment against the congressman from New York. He faces a 13-count indictment uh, tied to a host of charges, uh, including lying to the House of Representatives and uh, all sorts of uh, uh, other types of fraud charges. That case is ongoing. So when it comes to Trump's cases, I think there's a pretty good chance he will be defiant until the last moment, and that might be really bad for him. But for a lot of reasons, he has kind of an incentive to do so. Santos, I think he knows there's a really good chance he's going to lose in uh, 2024 his congressional race. He's going to fall out of political relevance. And there's a pretty good chance eventually he'll plead guilty. That's my prediction on this. Because otherwise, some damning evidence against him. If another person involved in the very same activity is saying, I don't want to take this to trial, then... I feel like it could go very bad very quick if Santos decides to do anything other than taking the best agreement he can with prosecutors. Well, I guess this section of the show is the unfortunate goings-on of individuals within MAGA, uh, especially as it relates to legal issues, because now I have Mike Lindell to check in on. Attorneys for Mike Lindell as Mediate Reports and MyPillow asked to withdraw from Dominion and Smartmatic lawsuits because... They're owed millions of dollars. It does seem to be a pattern, starting at the, uh, the top with Trump and going down, that MAGA people aren't great at paying their legal fees. The attorneys representing Mike Lindell and MyPillow in defense against the defamation lawsuits filed by Smartmatic and Dominion Voting Systems have filed a motion to withdraw, alleging that their pillow purveying client hasn't paid their legal bills in months and owes them millions of dollars. We're seeing a very similar story play out with Rudy Giuliani. And talks about how in the aftermath of the 2020 election, of course, Trump, his allies, people like Mike Lindell, promulgated all these different bunkers and baseless claims about our elections and saying that Biden uh, put together this conspiracy to steal the election from Trump machines, flipping votes like Smartmatic and Dominion, even though, of course, there was no evidence of that whatsoever. Smartmatic and Dominion filed defamation lawsuits against many of the parties who made or promoted these false claims, including Lindell, Mike Lindell, and Lindell's media company, Frank Speech, LLC. Fox News settled with Dominion in April for a whopping $787.5 million. So Lindell also has explained, as Giuliani reportedly is as well, that he's in a very tough financial situation. His company is suffering, he is suffering financially because of all these different cases being brought against him and other recent situations that have arisen because of this, because of his advocacy for and actions in the interest of, honestly, calling into question the legitimacy of our elections. And what's so unfortunate is I think Mike Lindell is one of the rare 
individuals, who is an influencer, if you want to word it that way, within the MAGA world, who actually believes all of this nonsense. And so because of that, even though he's still an adult, he's responsible for his own rhetoric, his own actions, and sometimes this is the accountability you see whenever you take dangerous actions and lie about companies, try to destroy the perception of legitimacy of these companies, and that hurts their employees and um, is damaging to our democracy. And so, yes, he's an adult, even if he just is wrong, but authentically wrong about these things, still he should be held accountable. But because it seems he genuinely is just bought into this, somehow that makes it more sad. Someone who knows they're lying and lies, like Tucker Carlson, for example, or everyone at Fox News, the $787.5 million settlement, that just only feels good. Only feels good. With Mike Lindell, I want accountability. I want to make sure future individuals don't think it's appropriate to do what Mike Lindell has done defaming companies, it seems, like uh, Smartmatic and Dominion. But on a human level, his life is really falling apart. And that, on its own, is sad. We discussed earlier in today's show the fact that Donald Trump has thrown his support behind Jim Jordan to be the next Speaker of the House, which of course would be disastrous. But even more disastrous would be Donald Trump himself as Speaker of the House. And that's something that still numerous Republicans are avid about. They very much want Trump to be the next speaker, which is so ridiculous, reflects very poorly on them and their commitment to serious governance, but it's something that's being discussed here on Eric Bowling's show. First, take note of in this clip, Eric Bowling, so giddy, so pumped about this mm, Christmas gift for him. Then uh, Republican Congressman Greg Stubbe comes on and makes the case uh, for this ridiculous idea. We'll get to at the end him answering the criticism that's been pointed out, which is that in the Republican past rules for their own leadership, it says it can't be someone who's indicted. But he says, no, 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 that doesn't apply to Donald Trump. But first, here's this being introduced by Eric Bowling. Very, very excited. In Florida, Congressman Greg Stubbe. Congressman, I, this is great. I, I just adore this story. The thought of Donald Trump uh, standing behind, sitting behind Joe Biden at a, a you know, a State of the Union. I'm just dying. Uh, you know, he's going to show up at, at the conference. What are your thoughts on this? How awesome would it be for President Trump to be the leader of the House and negotiate with Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden spending policies from a conservative majority House? Uh, I can't think of somebody that would be better to do it. I fully support the notion. I especially support it if we can't come together as a conference. I know Jim Jordan's running. I know Steve Scalise is running. If they both can't get to 218, we need to have somebody that can unify our conference, even if even if it's for the 45 days, 60 days that we're in this trying to pass this um, this this funding issue. We need to have somebody that can unite the party, everybody can get behind, and wouldn't it just be sweet to all these Democrats who kicked out our former speaker that they got rid of Kevin McCarthy and now they have to deal with President Trump? Wouldn't it be so sweet? Uh, so then Eric Bowling asks about the issue with a potential Trump speakership. He's not a member of the House and only the rules apply to a member of the House. And I can... Oh, went too far forward. Here we go earlier today and there's a there's a congressional reporter who's been there for for a long time 
uh, and he came on, and I know Fox doesn't like Trump. I mean, let's just be honest. Can we just be honest? Fox doesn't like Trump. And he yeah. said something like, well, there may be a rule where if you're under indictment or you're you know, some sort of felony indictment before you're even convicted, that you can't run for speaker. Congressman, I don't think, that, is there a rule that I don't know about? I will nip that in the bud right now because I've seen Democrats tweeting that back at me. First of all, Trump wouldn't be a member of the House. So at the current moment, rules don't apply to him because he's not a member of the House and only the rules apply to a member of the House. And I can guarantee you that if that were to happen, we are in the majority. We can change the rules at any time. Uh, there are things that we can. Yeah, that's a weird argument. The first one. The second one, I guess. Change sure. Nothing has to apply to Trump. But the first one was it's not a member of the House. But you would be making Trump the Speaker of the House, so then he wouldn't be able to be a part of House leadership because your rule says you can't have been indicted and be a member of House leadership. But he's not a member of the House, and that applies to House. I don't know. Whatever. The second point's hilarious. Uh, well, we'll just change the rules. That doesn't have to apply to Trump. That was political persecution, whatever they'll say. As was expected. I've seen multiple people, even before Greg Stubbe said that, predict that would be the exact response. The rules don't have to apply to Donald. Come on. Now, I have to tell you, I don't want this to happen because Trump would be horrible and that would be so bad for effective governance. As I said previously, are we going to see effective governance from anyone who's going to be selected by the Republican caucus? Probably not. So that does change the calculus because I do think this would further cement undeniably in the eyes of the American people. Republicans aren't serious. They're not trying to get things done. Putting Trump as Speaker of the House, it's like a a joke. It's a satire type thing. It's not the move of a party wanting to get things done, wanting to work sometimes across the aisle to implement policies that benefit the lives of Americans. By the way, a different House Republican, Garrett Graves, had a very different response to this uh, prospect. Interesting you said that because Trump is coming. Apparently he's considering it to the, it's likely, I am told by sources, to the Capitol on Tuesday as you were having your candidate forum the day before you're going to have your actual speaker. He's claiming tonight that he could actually take the job as House Speaker on a short-term basis. Do you believe that that can happen? Uh, you know, look, there's a part of me that um, just just um, sitting down and buying tickets to watch the chaos um, would be uh, would be incredibly entertaining to see what the Democrats just created, um, but in, in <laughs> then he goes on to say, but something else we need a different leader. But that part's so aggravating. First of all, you don't get to talk about getting tickets to watch the chaos when the chaos is being created, initiated, catalyzed by your party. <laughs> That's you're a part. You could help to prevent the chaos. So don't get tickets to watch the chaos, you goof. Um, but he's trying to say the Democrats are to blame because they didn't come in to save Kevin McCarthy. As has always been the case, the majority selects, then is the one giving the power to the speaker. And he knows he would never have jumped in to save Nancy Pelosi if a similar thing had arisen under her leadership, which it wouldn't have because she was a better speaker. Um, but this idea that Democrats are at all to blame, of course, if Kevin McCarthy is, first of all, consistently lying and being dishonest to the Democratic caucus and also didn't come to them asking for them to jump in and save his behind, then of course they're not obligated to do that. It was the uh, rebellion within his party that is to blame.
Making it about anything else is dishonest. And flipping it around makes that very clear because he knows he wouldn't think it's the fault of Republicans if Republicans in a different situation didn't come in to save Nancy Pelosi's speakership. You have to agree within your party, if you, you have the majority, on who you want your speaker to be. And if y'all all of a sudden disagree, yeah, the other party is going to watch you uh, get ousted. That's just how it rolls, Sir Garrett Graves. Uh, but we are getting reporting, and this is going to be a spectacle, my goodness, that Trump's going to go, as I mentioned earlier, I think, and be a part of the negotiations for speaker on Capitol Hill show up and be a part of that whole thing next week. Why? He, uh, on Eric Bowling's show, Greg Stubbe was saying, we need a uniter, someone who can unite our party. Is Trump the guy? Y'all are having a Republican civil war in part over this guy. I don't know if he's the guy who should show up to unite the party. Very bizarre. I have to tell you, it's been pretty interesting if not entertaining, to watch the way that Republicans have turned on one another, uh, the infighting that's been playing out, people who traditionally have been allies now clashing with one another. In this situation, it's Nancy Mace, the Republican congresswoman. She pretends to be moderate when she's not. And Kevin McCarthy. And I'll show you a Fox News host confronting Nancy Mace with a clip of Kevin McCarthy trying to explain how Nancy Mace is being dishonest in her advocacy for the position that it was justified for her to vote for the ouster of Kevin McCarthy. Now, interesting to keep in mind with this, Nancy Mace called Matt Gates a fraud back when he was trying to prevent Kevin McCarthy from becoming speaker in the first place because he would vote against Kevin McCarthy, then send out a fundraising email. And Nancy Mace said Matt Gates is a fraud. It's all about the fundraising, all about the attention. Then Nancy Mays votes to Alice Kevin McCarthy does the exact same thing. Okay, um, the hypocrisy is blinding. But she's been saying that one of the reasons she voted to Alice Kevin McCarthy is he didn't keep his word, which I don't put that past Kevin McCarthy. I'm sure he's been, actually I know for certain he's been dishonest, especially in his negotiations with the Biden White House. But she's saying also within the Republican Party, he hasn't kept his word on things such as this. You mean by that? Well, I mean, conservatives were, were guaranteed an impeachment. Moderates were guaranteed there would be no impeachment. And so that Moderates is... Moderates actually told there was going to be no impeachment. Correct. Yes. And so... So again, I don't put that past Kevin McCarthy. It seemed like that is what he was doing, was to the moderate Republicans who didn't understand what the heck is going on with this whole impeachment inquiry thing, what is there to justify this when it comes to Biden, saying something to the effect of, we're not actually going to bring this to an impeachment vote. But then telling the extreme Republicans who, for some reason, believe that this should be what they're doing, that we will get there eventually and trying to keep both sides happy. But with this allegation generally of he's been lying on things, telling one part of the party this, other part of the party this, not following through with promises, Kevin McCarthy says that's not accurate. Here is uh, Kevin McCarthy on Tuesday night after he was ousted. Watch. Nancy Mace is a whole nother story, okay? <laughs> Let's just be honest here. <laughs> I called Nancy Mace's chief of staff yesterday. I said, can you please tell me, I don't understand, where have I not kept my word? You know what her chief of staff said? You have kept your word, 100%. What do you say to that, Congresswoman? 
Well, clearly he, he has not kept his word. I was very public about the deals I negotiated with the former speaker and the timeline for those deals. All of that is public record. And, you know, he got fired Tuesday night for not keeping his promises. And, I, you know, from my perspective, to throw a member of Hill staff under the bus like that and to, to try to intimidate me through my chief is not the kind of ethical or unethical behavior that I'm going to champion. And I'm going to protect the workers that we have on the Hill. And I want to look forward rather than divide our party anymore. I think we should all be looking forward at the opportunities ahead to unite together, to rally around a new speaker and do what we promised the American people we would do. You know, in this situation, I want to speculate as to who is telling the truth. Could it have been the case that Ken McCarthy called the chief of staff, the chief of staff said, ah, you've been fine, and then Nancy Mace is lying, or Ken McCarthy didn't actually do that, he's lying. Yes, it reminds me of, let's say you are babysitting or your parent or something, you have two kids, two five-year-old kids, and you leave the room, there's cookies, you don't want them to eat the cookies yet, okay? Then you come back in the room, you had two cookies, and both of them have been consumed. They're gone. And both the kids say, we didn't eat the cookies. I didn't eat the cookie. I didn't eat the cookie. Okay. So Kevin and Nancy Mace both said they didn't eat the cookie. They're both being honest. In this situation, someone ate the cookie. I don't really even care at this point because I know both of you would have been perfectly willing to eat the cookie. And maybe you both ate one cookie individually or one of you ate both. One of them could be uh, being dishonest here. The other could be being dishonest. They could both be being dishonest. It all fits within their character. And I don't really care that much. But it's fascinating to watch play out. Um, so let me know if it helped understand that with the cookie metaphor. That was on the fly. I'm not proud of it. But interestingly, Kevin McCarthy is so distraught by this whole ordeal. He's considering, and it seems plans to, which this is so low character, just resign altogether. If he can't be speaker, he's out. This is from Politico. Kevin McCarthy considers resigning from the House before the end of his term. What? Kevin McCarthy is considering resigning from the House before the end of his term. Two people familiar with the matter told Politico. And then goes on to explain that uh, he'll wait until the next speaker selected, but then probably is going to resign. Which shows you he doesn't care about serving his constituents. He doesn't care about keeping the institution as functional as possible. It was all about power. Now he knows there's nowhere else I can go up, so I'm out. Also interesting, reporting-wise, that we're getting after the fact, also from Politico, this is titled, The Bewilderment and Schadenfreude the White House Feels Over McCarthy's Ouster. And one of the uh, parts of this article I found so interesting was people close to the president, President Joe Biden, consider McCarthy a fickle an unpredictable partner. When McCarthy met with Biden in person, he typically presented himself as a sober negotiator, clear-eyed about the give and take of bipartisan governance. Then he would go out in public and brag about his refusal to bend on conservative demands. On a particularly sensitive matter, this is wild. Not surprising, but shocking. McCarthy mocked Biden's age and mental acuity in public while privately telling aides that he found the president sharp and substantive in their conversations, a contradiction that left a deep impression on the White House. Absolutely. This is what I've been telling you. Behind the scenes, all the reporting you can find is that everyone who interacts with Biden is impressed with how aware he is of the day-to-day -day operations of 
his administration, the details of different policies being implemented by his administration makes a lot of the specific day-to-day -day decisions that are important and um, more in detail than a lot of people in that role have done, including for sure Donald Trump, who didn't know what the heck was going on in his administration day-to-day. And even Kevin McCarthy took note of that and would tell aides that, and then would go out and say, Biden doesn't know where he is, blah, 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 which I've said it before. No question, Biden has uh, become a less effective communicator in recent years, but you have to be able to judge both, yes, communication ability, and ideally you would have a really effective communicator as president, but you can't just only focus on that and ignore that clearly behind the scenes very intelligent and if you watch long form interviews knows what he's talking about even if he can't deliver it as succinctly as you would want um and also has a really impressive legislative record so those things should be notable to people as well but it seems all the conversations about the year on his birth certificate and his uh speeches and stuff and complete lack of discussion on what is so important as well his actual record as president and some of these behind the scenes um, bits of information we are nearing the end of today's show and thus the end of the week so why not end on something absolutely positively spectacular things ladies and gentlemen are not looking good they're actually looking very very bad for lauren bober the maga republican congresswoman and this is really good for her district, for the country, for our democracy. Take a look at this from lukebeasleyshow.com slash news. Josiah crushing it over there on the news side of the site. Things are looking really bad for Lauren Boebert, this article writes. Lauren Boebert, the Republican congresswoman representing Colorado's 3rd District, just received some devastating news regarding her 2024 re-election campaign. Her opponent, Democratic challenger Adam Frisch, raised a formidable $3.4 million dollars in 2023's third quarter, more than four times Boebert's relatively paltry $808,000. Also impressive is the fact that Frisch's proverbial war chest is the product of more than 100,000 donations with an average of $32 per donation, meaning this is a grassroots rejection of Lauren Boebert. Over 100,000 people saying we want her OUT out of Congress fantastic. These figures are absolutely devastating for the incumbent Republican, but it's nothing new. In Q2 2023, Frisch outfunded Boebert by a factor of three, $2.6 million to Boebert's $818,000. Uh, as you can see there too, that lead in fundraising is increasing as time goes on. And we also talked previously about how here being reported from the Hill, Cook political report shifts Boebert race to toss-up meaning no longer is it a lean Republican as it previously was. And if it's a toss-up and Frisch is out raising Boebert by that much, more than four times what she's raising, it's looking very good for Frisch, very bad for Boebert. And I'm willing to say, even though all the normal caveats remain, have to actually get out there and vote if you live in her district, we have to do what we can to assist in Frisch's campaign on uh, the... The article here, the site is linked if you want to check it out to support Adam Frisch, great candidate. And it's not a given that Boebert's going to lose, not even close. But as a prediction, I'm willing to say that Adam Frisch will win. And that's fantastic. And it's so important that time and time again, this MAGA ideology is rejected. 
and people who subscribe to it are prevented from being in positions of power because the quicker and the more times that happens, the more likely this ideology is to become politically irrelevant, which is what we want because of how dangerous it is to our democracy and so many other things and how it halts like what we're seeing right now, actual effective governance. And so great job to all those donating. Make sure to go if you have a little cash to spare and donate to Adam Frisch. And hopefully he will indeed beat Lauren Boebert. It'll be yet another example of this election denying, uh, anti-democratic MAGA ideology being rejected. Very extreme rejection of fact ideology being rejected in uh, an election, as we saw a lot in the midterms, but we want to see more in 2024. By the way, before wrapping this up, the Beasley brief. You saw here a new thing I'm very excited about. The news side of the site, you can click there. Boom, read articles. Absolutely uh, fantastic stuff going up every single day now. If you want to get a summary of what happened the previous day, political stories-wise, you can go on the site, lukebeasleyshow.com slash brief, and get the Beasley brief every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern time, 4 a.m. Pacific time. An email. Here's a summary of what happened yesterday. The Beasley brief, lukebeasleyshow.com slash brief. It's very quick. You can scroll through. If you just want the quick headline version of everything, that's there. Or if you have some time, you can click and read these specific articles being linked and videos being linked. Super excited. Tiana heading that up, crushing it as well, just like Josiah is with the articles. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I will see you on either the, I almost said tomorrow, but that's not accurate, either the weekend bonus show that actually will come out tomorrow if you're a member, or if you're not a member, you're breaking my heart, lukebeasyshow.com slash membership, but I'll see you on Monday.